Welcome to our podcast, Healing Arts from the Borderland, organized by the Borderland Rainbow Center in El Paso, Texas. This is made possible through a grant for TASA, Texas Association Against Sexual Assault. And in this podcast, we provide cultural, spiritual enrichment to aid in healing in both this podcast as well as in workshops. Now, this podcast is for individuals in recovery, survivors, or for those who simply wish to be inspired by stories of resiliency. If you'd like to tell your story, please contact us at hstbgrant at borderlandrainbow.org or go ahead and feel free to check everything out in the links below. Now, my name is Amber and I'll be our guide interviewing artists and healers and how they came to be and their struggles and how they're helping the community now. Now, real quick, before we get started, I'd like to do a simple ask from you, and that would be that if you enjoy these podcasts, if these stories lift you up in any way, that you go ahead and share this with people who you think that this could resonate with. It's one of the best ways for us to grow and to reach bigger audiences and to have more uh, interaction with people. So uh, without much further ado, let's go ahead and get started. We have to be comfortable with who we are. Today we are joined by screenwriter, teacher, wordsmith, Maria Perez in a conversation about overcoming and the power of words. Tell me about yourself. I go by Maria Perez, Maria R. Perez in writing, and my whole name is Maria del Rosario Perez. So I feel I have a very Mexican, very Catholic name. And so I have a lot of grounding in that. My ethnicity and my Mexican-Americanness is very important to me. I can also identify as Chicana, as Hispanic, Latina. I think that I grew up at a time when kids were getting swatted at school for speaking in Spanish in the late 60s. My father was a carpenter who originally grew up in a pulque hacienda in Mexico, in Tlaxcala. So that connection to the... Es que yo soy indio tlaxcalteco. It's like, oh. Okay. It was always known. My mother was born here in Texas, but her family was from Jimenez, Chihuahua, Delicias area. And so we're very connected with that and the life of rancho and killing chickens and growing your food and having to go milk cows and uh, cooking in a wood stove. We're familiar with all that. And I grew up uh, in a Catholic home. And so it's kind of like, okay, this is where I was born into, and this is where I was baptized. So I made a commitment to learn more, learn all I can about Catholicism. And in that process, I ended up becoming a social worker. I'm kind of like a late bloomer. I didn't go back to school until the 90s. I had studied floral design also prior to that. I started the floral design. I got very involved with the church. And then I went back to school. Uh, prior to that, in the end of the 70s, I had what I would call like a nervous breakdown. Being a, a kid with a disability, being, becoming a young woman with a disability, identity, and, and, and all that, all those life chingaderas, <laughs> they got to me. And I became agoraphobic and I didn't leave my house for three years. I raised parakeets. I did a lot of gardening, a lot of indoor plants. I kept moving the furniture around in the house. I'm, I'm the oldest. My mother was working away from home. So I still had the responsibility of despachar a tu papa en la mañana, 
you know, give him breakfast, send him off with his packed lunch, have dinner ready. My siblings were going to work, were going to college. And other than the grace of God, boredom became my saving grace. And so that's what led me to seek professional counseling and get better and get over a lot of the anxiety that I had. So I had some terrific therapists, amazing therapists. And so then started to get busy with the floral work, with the catechism. And then I went back to school in 1991. I ended up with uh, social work. So to me, that was the means of me doing my Christian mission, service, service. Service was always paramount in our family. And it's like, oh, my God, what an amazing fit. And then I worked for 20 years or, or a little more in the practice of social work. Again, because I was a late bloomer, right after the bachelor's, I went on to get my master's because I was already in my 40s. And I thought people are going to expect something out of me. And at the time, a lot of my peers that were my age, they were already married. They'd already raised a family. They'd already been working in the field a very long time. They had all this experience and I didn't. So that's what prompted me to go on ahead and get the master's. And I said, well, if I don't bedazzle you with my experience, I'll bedazzle you with my knowledge. And thankfully, we were able to get into the last cohort of a collaborative between UT Austin and UTEP. So UTEP provided the infrastructure and UT Austin flew in the professors. So I have a master's of science in social work. And it is from UT Austin. And I am so proud of that. My bachelor's is from UTEP. My master's of science and social work is from UT Austin. 2017, both of my parents passed away. My mom passed away in January. My father passed away in August, six months and six days later. My mom was going to be 97 and my father was going to be 95. So I guess all the, the anxiety and the stress and whatever, I ended up in the hospital in December with a pneumonia. And in January of 2018, I got discharged from the hospital using oxygen for the first time in my life. So I recovered a little bit and I went back to work, but I was getting weaker. I had polio when I was three and a half. And that messed up a lot of muscles in my body. Polio is like buckshot to the spine. So it might hit this little piece, this little piece, this little piece. It affected one finger, different muscles. And that's all little bits and pieces in the spine where it shot that got messed up. And then this hand is much more atrophied. And so the same with my legs. And then my intercostals are paralyzed. So my spinal cord collapse. So I have like this hunchback and I walk with a limp. And so as I aged, all of those muscles that survived were getting weaker because they've been doing overtime, compensating. So by November, I quit working. And so I, I guess I kind of like retired. And then in uh, 2019, I took some courses at UTEP through their OLE program, the OSHER Lifelong Learning Institute. It's for senior citizens. I took some classes there and I really enjoyed it. I really liked it. I saw how the movie that was. And then in the fall, I taught a class. 
So I graduated with a master's in 98. And by 1999, January, I had three jobs because I'd been going crazy applying for jobs. One of them was with the nonprofit Volar, uh, which was social services exclusively for people with disabilities under the independent living philosophy. And then it was parenting with the Child Crisis Center. And then I was asked to teach a course at UTEP. So fresh out of the graduation gate, I get to teach at UTEP. And then in 2002, I was asked to teach again by Miss Bonnie Hatchet. So when I took those courses in 2019, I thought, you know, I can do this. So I was able to teach a course. And then I was hired to teach another course in January of 2020. But Sakate, I fell at home and I broke my left femur. I needed to have a partial hip replacement. I couldn't walk anymore. I had been walking some by myself, especially around the house, but I was using my scooter, electric scooter more. But after I fell, it became very difficult to walk, not to mention that the doctor was overly cautious with me. So I spent two to three months, February, March. By the end of March, I got out of a nursing home, a rehab center. And I came home and when I left the nursing home, I didn't use oxygen. But then here at home and the pandemic and all that stuff, I gained weight and I had to go back on the oxygen. And then I'd known Miss Nancy Green for many, many years. And so she got a bunch of us together and we formed the Tornillo Collective. We wrote a play in response to the children uh, at the detention centers in Tornillo. So we did a play called Escape from Tornillo. And the play's already done. Miss Nancy got it registered. We were going to start producing it when the pandemic happened. So things just kind of got on hold. And then my niece, who lives in Mississippi, was working at the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson, Mississippi. And remember in August of 2019, they did an ice roundup in Mississippi. Well, many of the children were left without a guardian or a parent because their parents worked at the meatpacking companies. So the community rallied around the families in a beautiful, beautiful way. And these art kits were developed for these children. They were developed therapeutically. These art kits contained a booklet with prompts with ideas and papers and colored pencils, markers, crayons. One of the staff persons from the Mississippi Museum of Art was an art therapist also. So there were different individuals. And so my niece got charged with putting it together. She mentioned it to me and it just became a perfect collaboration. And I ended up translating it from English to Spanish. And then they kept calling it the art kit, the art kit. And it's like, no, 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 this is the booklet. So this is the booklet. And I ended up naming it. We both of us ended up titling the booklet Art Seeds. I was so proud of all that. And when that got finished, I shared the story with Ms. Donna Schneider, who has Tumblewords and is also involved with the Tornillo Collective. And so she invited me to do a Tumblewords with Art Seeds. And I invited my niece. That's where I met Alex. And then Alex invited me to do the workshop with the Borderland Rainbow Center. Amazing. And now I'm here with you. 
Yeah. And now you're here with me. Do you feel like your experiences, your intersectionalities helped shape your responses artistically? Yes, of course. I was very proud to be Mexican enough to translate the work. And I was able to work with my niece and we formatted it. I was able to validate her artistic capacity because we used her sketches in the pamphlet. It was a beautiful collaborative. And then it's my niece, my baby sister's firstborn. I was her primary caregiver for a while. So this creativity thread is, it's very much part of both sides of my family. All of us sing, dance, perform, cook. That's so amazing to come from the culture of where you're from. And it bleeds into every day. What about your identity has challenged you? I think coming to terms to being a woman with a disability, I know that when I was much, 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 much younger, when anybody would say something like crippled or something, it's like, oh, that was so hurtful. That was so painful. But then, you know, the, the terminology has evolved just like it has in many minorities. And I'm finding 20 years working in the disabilities community, I saw evolution and it is still evolving. And there's, there's terminology and ideas I didn't know about back in 2018. I got used to saying person with a disability, putting the person first, man with a disability, child with a disability, not disabled child because the child wasn't broken. I used to talk to parents and, and compare capacities to a telephone, a cell phone. Some of us have more apps than others, but we're all a cell phone. We can make a phone call in any one of them because it would really hurt me when parents would say, oh, I have three children. Two are normal and one blah, 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 some kind of description. And when I started working and becoming familiar with this, then I said, no, I have to show the parents that all their children are normal. Just one of them has to be fed with a feeding tube. One of them needs to have diapers changed or one of them can't read, but they're all normal. I started to focus on that and also focus it in terms of, and in that normalcy is the capacity to choose. Even if they're spitting out the jello, they're saying, I don't like jello and we need to respect that. That's an independent choice. What? you're doing is by harnessing the power of words, you are helping people change their perspective. But then you're also using that power of words to give back power. Yes. Yes. For example, I was an intern at Del Sol, but it used to be called Columbia East back then. I was asked to check with a couple that had had, I just had a baby, but From the elbow down, his arm was missing. So I go there and it was a very pretty couple. I went in there and I went over to see the baby. It was there in the room with them. And I said, is it okay if I unwrap him? So I just kind of moved his blanket a little bit and looked at him. And I said, oh, he's a very beautiful baby boy with lots of hair. I went on and on about the the beautiful baby. And then I said, well, you know, he's going to use his arm the way he will use his arm. I said, he's going to hold the bottle his way. 
He's going to, as we say, pedir brazos, motion to be held his way. He's going to learn to turn in bed and crawl his way. And that's going to be okay. That should be okay. I said, if he learns anything negative, it's because he's learned it from the environment. Just observe him, support him, and he should be okay. And I said, he doesn't have any underlying issues. Sometimes with a syndrome, there's physical issues and then there's internal stuff. And he says, no, no, no. Doctor said he's perfectly okay. I said, well, there you go. So anything else I can answer you, anything? And they said, well, we were just wondering about a prosthetic. And in my mind, I'm like, oh my God, it's a newborn and they already <laughs> want to repair him and glue an arm on him. And I said, okay, well, let me go get some information on some pediatric specialists and I'll be back. I said, because that's going to depend on his capacity and a very good evaluation from an orthopedic pediatric. So I went and I got my paperwork and I came back, but I came back through a different route. And when I came back up, I was in the waiting area. The father of the baby was there. He calls me. He's in the waiting area with another lady. And he says, this is my sister. And, you know, he introduces me and I gave him the information I had. But then I said, remember what I told you? I said about what the baby's going to pick up will be because of the environment. I said, well, let me tell you, remember I went to look at the baby and I unwrapped him? And he says, yes. I said, whoever dressed the baby did not put his arm, the arm that was a partial, through the sleeve of the shirt. I said, either they're overprotecting that arm or it's not arm enough to go through a sleeve. I said, so those are the little things that you need to be careful with because they are sending big messages to the baby. It's an ongoing thing. Where do you find your healing? One of the things that I hear in this conversation is how you use the power of words. Do you feel like that's your healing modality? I think there's multiple healing modalities, traditional and non-traditional. I grew up with listening about all sorts of stuff. For example, my father always said that he had some baby sisters and they died because the brujas killed. And my father never allowed cats in the house because they were. And then my mother was always like, you know, drink this tea. If this hurts, do this, do that. So home remedies and remedios and all sorts of stuff were always part of everything. And at the same time, growing up in all the traditional medical stuff, I learned that some of these gringo methods, trying to heal pain with ice is not bad. It just depends on the situation. Keeping busy, traditional prayer, drumming. I also made a drum with Miss Yolanda Martinez. She's a, an indigenous musician. Breathing, yoga tapping, also known as uh, emotional freedom technique, eating right, vitamins. It's been a journey. Healing comes from watching a movie and you have an aha moment. The other day we had had uh, an argument here at home. I live with my brother and my sister. I'm the oldest and then it's my brother and then my sister. And then we have a younger sister in Mississippi, Angel, Terry and Paula in Mississippi. And we had just watched Encanto a while back. And we were talking and we were making up and we were apologizing and coming back together. And, and I used the word casita. I said, this is our casita. And it's like, oh, boom, I started crying. Because, you know, now that word and after you watch Encanto, casita is magical. So I did therapy under the late Dr. Rudy Pasurto in 
Canutillo. And I remember I was always referencing movies so that people could get a point across with my Women with Disability Support Group. And for International Women's Month, I would do a Women with Disabilities Film Festival. So I would have different movies. So, I mean, whatever I can grab, I will grab. When I was working as a social worker, you're not supposed to preach or anything like that to your clients. But I always asked, you know, where do you go to church or what church community do you belong to? And then I would always say, well, have the elders pray over you. Do this, do that. And I learned that from a professor of mine, Margarita, Margie Rodriguez. She was talking to us about a case that she had. Somebody had a condition that led to psychotic episodes. But the family, some family thought he was in Brujado. And some family thought it was something else. So Margarita had told the family, okay, we're going to do a limpia. We're going to get the priest to bless the house and do an anointing of the sick. We're going to get a curandero to do the limpia. And he's going to change his diet and he's going to take this medication. You just blend it off and whatever works. Where do you feel like you find your strength? Well, as my mother would say, la carga hace andar el burro. The load makes the donkey move. You just got to keep going, got to keep trucking. We take breaks. You do this, you do that. I try to have a well-rounded activities, well-rounded days. You know, this whole pandemic thing really put a damper on a lot of people's lives. You know, you just do what you have to do. You just keep going one day at a time and pray and you ask for enlightenment and you never know. You're going to get a phone call for this. Somebody's going to mention this or somebody's going to call you about that. And I like to think that our lives are like the snowflakes in a snow globe. You don't know which two are going to touch and then they're going to bounce off and touch another one. What are you doing now? Are you going to be writing or how are you working with the community? Well, I need to get back to some stuff that I started last year. I started writing a children's book. It's about a little boy who is horrified of cemeteries. And then an elderly friend of mine, she's Serbian and she grew up in California and she suffered tremendous child abuse. And she wrote her biography, Miss Mary Bachner. And so she left me her manuscript and I have to do something with it and get it published. And then I submitted for a grant with Femme Frontera. And so I was awarded a grant for screenwriting. And then I took a couple of courses with them on uh, microfilming, micro movie making. And so I have to finish. How can we support you? Something that I also do is genealogy. And I'm also contributing writer with elpasonews.org. I do the genealogy column. The genealogy, I do have a Facebook page on that. Somos Familia. Another weird little project that is in the back of my mind is that my parents had a baby be kidnapped. My mother delivered a baby in the hospital in Islera. They told my mother the baby was going to die. So all she could think of was, I need to get it baptized. I really believe that my mother was drugged. 
to the point that she was incompetent. She used to be a midwife in Delicias. So if anybody knew that a baby was okay or not okay, it would be her. The doctor told my father, your wife is okay. The baby died, but don't worry. I, I help out people like you all. And I buried the little bodies in the garden. No death certificate, no birth certificate, nothing. We always believed that the baby died up 2009. It would have been his 50th birthday. And we started to think differently. And as we told the story to more people, they're like, no, that baby was kidnapped. That's one of the reasons I got into genealogy and into DNA matching. What are some words of wisdom that you would give somebody like yourself or somebody who's struggling? I think that we have strengths. We have capacities. We just need to tap into them. Fear, anxiety, doubt. All those things are more disempowering than somebody telling you that you can't. That's called disempowering from within. Because sometimes we believe the con that we live in. We have to be comfortable with who we are. We have to be comfortable with all our talents, capacities, misgivings, all those quirks, positive and negative that we are. Because that's who we are. And we have to celebrate that. Tap into your talents. Discover your talents. Thank you so much for your conversation and your experiences and for sharing and for just being you because you have made the world a better place just by being here. I appreciate it. And thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for your time. And thank you for your time and for listening. And as always, wishing you nothing but good vibes. Thank you.